0: Acts chapter 2, verses 34 and 35. That's it. I got stuck on this last week and I didn't get to preach on what I wanted to. And so I knew it was Easter and somebody invited you and you're ready to go. So I just quit. Acts 2, 34 and 35. I think I'm reading from the New King James. For David did not ascend into the heavens... But he himself, he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. I'm going to stop right there. He says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So if that's said of Christ... What does that mean about your enemies? Their destiny is sealed. He said, just sit down until I take all of your enemies and pile them up until you can set your feet on them. Because my Bible says, if God be for us, who? He said, there may be enemies, but who are they compared to who's for you? You just need to be still and watch until God makes all of our enemies our footstool. I want to preach to you for a moment about Jesus, King and Priest. Jesus, King and Priest. Father, we love you. Thank you. For your word, we thank you for the spirit of God that's here. I ask you to bless everybody today. Bless them, press down, shake it together, running over. May they leave here encouraged and uplifting, understanding the king and the priest in Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Clap your hands if you believe in the word of God. If you don't believe in the word of God, I can't help you. Brother, Brother Bill Laws father, who I didn't get to meet, I think he was already passed on, but in the front of his Bible, right there, it said, in the beginning, the Lord created the heavens and the earth. He just wrote beside it. He said, if you don't believe this, you don't need to continue reading. <laughs> right? But I love this because Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, and He's trying to explain to the crowd what's going on. They have some questions. And in the process of his explanation, he quotes Psalm 110 where David prophesied of the Messiah's reign. And he said, the Lord said to my Lord. There are two Lords here. And so this gave a lot of trouble to everybody In Jesus' time. Matter of fact, Jesus stumped them with this one time. They said, What do you say of Christ, the Messiah? Is he David's son? They said, Yeah, he's David's son. Then he said, How can David call him Lord? And Jesus got in trouble with this over and over in John chapter 8. You may remember that he is preaching and he said, Before he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they looked at him, they said, you're not even 50 years old, how can you say you know Abraham? And he said, before Abraham was, I am. I am. I was before Abraham and I'm after Abraham. And then in John chapter 10, he said, I and my father are one. And the Bible said they took up stones to stone him. And he said, for what good work do you stone me? And they said, for no good work. But for the fact that ye, being a mere man, claim to be God. They knew what he was saying. And so he returns here and he says, how can he be his son and how can he be his Lord at the same time? We know according to Isaiah 35 that he is the root and the offspring of Jesse. He was before Him and He was after Him. According to the flesh, He was His Son. But according to the Spirit and the divine nature, He preceded Him. He is God in the flesh. And to understand what is happening when Jesus ascends into heaven, you have to look further into Psalm 110. To see Jesus is fulfilling two different offices, king and priest. Both which are necessary to our salvation. So Psalm 110, 1 through 4 says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. King, right? Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauty of holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So you are king and priest, which brings up a great question, who's Melchizedek? Melchizedek was both King and priest. And I want you to show you how powerful this is that in one person we have king and priest. Throughout the Old Testament, you have king and priest or separate people and separate offices. And throughout the Old Testament, you could not get revival unless you had a king who wanted revival. Even as bad as the Levites and the priests wanted it, it was always separate. That's why When it talks about us in the New Testament, it says you are a royal priesthood that residing in you because of the power of the spirit. It is not separate anymore, but you not only have the authority and the office of mediator, you have both of them together in the body of Christ. So when you go out, you're an ambassador of Christ. You represent the king and you represent the priesthood. Melchizedek. It says in Hebrews 7 and 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Jesus is priest by an oath, not by blood. He said, I swore by an oath that you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Not by blood, not by birth, but by the oath of God. The standard for being a priest was you were born from a priestly family from the Levites. Melchizedek was sworn by an oath and appointed. In Genesis, there is no genealogy recorded for Melchizedek. When you got no genealogy, you may be a theophany of God. When you got no genealogy and no mother and father, it may be that you represent God just like the angel of the Lord. And he says, You're just like him. You've got a mother who is flesh and you've got a father who is spirit. He's the God man. Amen. See, in Genesis. Because there's no geology, instead of being a descendant, he is God called to the office of priest. In the same way, Jesus is able to function as a priest because God called him by an oath. The writer of Hebrews uses the priesthood of Aaron to open a window to us of what Jesus did for us as our high priest. Many of you remember the day of atonement called Yom Kippur. The high priest would take the blood of the sacrifice into the holiest of holies. And he would sanctify the holy place and the temple. And then he would place his hands on the head of another goat. Now we interpret that goat as the scapegoat. But that's not what it means in Hebrew. One was the priest that the blood was shed was for the Lord, for Yahweh. The other was for Azazel. Azazel is the demon of the wilderness. It was sent out, out there because in here is sanctified. Among the people is sanctified. And now the priesthood and the temple is sanctified. So everything that is sinful has to go out. That's why when you see in the New Testament... Where Paul is dealing with Hymenaeus and Philetus, and they have a problem teaching the truth. They're teaching heresy. He said, I gave them over to Satan to teach them not to blaspheme. You can't do that in here, this is holy. That's why when you see the young man in 1 Corinthians who's sleeping with his mother-in-law and they didn't confront him, he said, give him over to Satan that his body be destroyed but his soul might be saved. He said, in other words, you can't live that way in here. This is holy. Somebody say amen. amen. So the priest moved with great trepidation behind the veil and he laid the blood of the one goat on the mercy seat. And when Jesus ascended, he entered into the heavenly inner sanctum and appeased the justice of God. Not with the blood of an animal, but with his own very sinless blood. After Jesus offered his own blood in the presence of God, he didn't leave like other priests. He didn't come out like others. The Bible says Jesus said he sat down. Officially fulfilling Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. In other words, Jesus Christ's death on the cross was the final act of atonement made for men. This is God's best and greatest plan for redemption. When he went in behind the veil in the heavenly sanctum, he satisfied once and for all the requirements of the law and the debt that was owed for us. And you and I now can come boldly before the throne of grace because that has been satisfied. As a priest, he represented us to God. He said, I satisfied the law, I kept it without sin, and now I bring this sinless blood that atones over the mercy seat. The principal role of the priest was to go to God on behalf of the people, to function as a mediator between them and God. Jesus was the last and final priest to represent the people before God. He took our sins, he took our shame upon himself, and he satisfied the justice of God for us. Just as an average Israelite could never go into the Holy of Holies and been accepted, John tells us in John 14 and 6, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. People always say, is Jesus the only way? I say, yes. Well, isn't that kind of narrow and isn't that kind of exclusive? No one else has died for your sins. Muhammad didn't die for anybody's sins. Right? Buddha didn't die. He can show you a way of enlightenment. They all show you a way to God. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't get to God without the mediator. You can't have a relationship with a holy God without a mediator that will take blood into the holy place and cover for sins. When Jesus, the ultimate high priest ascended, he opened a way for every one of us to be restored into covenant relationship with God. And that's why Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore, because of this, come boldly to obtain mercy and grace and help in the time of need. I don't have to be intimidated by a holy God because I had a mediator going before me and satisfy. The requirements of the law. And the wrath of God. I can come boldly without intimidation or fear. You need to come boldly. Not because of who you are. But because of what has happened on your behalf. You don't need to be fearful. You don't need to be uh, worried or concerned. Because he says we can come boldly. Even the queen. Esther. When she was told by Mordecai to go into the presence of the king, she said, if he doesn't lift the royal scepter, I could be killed because I can't come into his presence. That's a human king. You think you and I could come into the presence of a holy God if it were not for the blood of Christ? You think we could... Stand here in the presence of God and lift our hands with our frailty and our faults. If it were not for Jesus, the reason we can even gather as a church is because there is a sacrifice for sin that has been made. Now we can come boldly, lift our hands and our head toward heaven because of what he's done on our behalf as our priest. He is our go-between, our mediator. That's why 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. As a man, he made atonement for men. On our side, he stood for us in that setting so that we could go to God. 2 Corinthians 5:19. That is that God was in Christ. Somebody say amen to that. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Who is the him, Himself? God, thank you. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. It wasn't Jehovah Jr., it was God. In Christ, the man Christ, reconciling the world to himself. He's the initiator. The reason you and I can come boldly, because he initiated it with us. He reconciled us to himself. He moved out of the way, the wrath and the justice that our sin deserved. And Jesus took the punishment, imputing, not imputing or counting their trespasses to them. A priest didn't just go to God on behalf of people. A priest also went to the people on behalf of God. See, he doesn't just go and sit down. But he has something. Some of you may remember that when they reconstituted the Ten Commandments after they were broken, and he comes down from the mountain and he takes the blood of the sacrifice, he sprinkles it on the people and pronounces a blessing on the people. Moses did. So in the same way, As a priest, in the book of Numbers, the priest could invoke the name of Yahweh over the people. And his blessing would come and his favor would come. As a priest, it was Jesus' role to pour out the priestly blessing of the Holy Spirit. So he goes on our behalf to make atonement. And then on God's behalf, he pours out the blessing of the Holy Spirit. He begins to sprinkle what he had received. That's why Jesus says in John seven thirty seven through 39. On the last day of the great feast. Jesus stood and cried out saying. Oh anyone who thirsts let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me as the scripture has said. Out of his belly, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Right? But this he spoke concerning the spirit. Whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. After he goes into the temple. And makes atonement for us. And propitiation. He comes back with the blessing of God. And begins to pour out the Spirit. See, that's why Acts 2.33 says, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. Aren't you glad that when God gives you the Spirit, He confirms you have the Spirit? Aren't you glad that when God fills you with the Holy Ghost, He confirms you have the Holy Ghost? Right? Right? He said, that what you see and hear, what did they see and hear? They heard them speak with tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Amen. I'm here to tell you, God will authenticate your experience with Him. You don't have to have faith in faith. You don't have to have faith in feelings. God will authenticate His Holy Spirit baptism in your life. That's why it's called the seal of the Spirit. The seal was authentication. It was something each family had. They had a a signet ring. And they would press it into wax and put it on papers. And that would be their signature. When God gives you the spirit, he seals that you are his. For he that has not the spirit is none of his. But if we have the spirit, God will seal it and authenticate that experience. That's why the Bible says in Romans 8, he goes on to say, The Lord... Right? The Lord said that He would fill us with the Holy Ghost, right? He said, "The spirit of adoption, whereby we cry "Abba, Father." You can't cry "'Abba" till you've been adopted, till you've been brought into the family. He said, "It's through the spirit we cry, "Abba, Father, hallelujah." You know when you've been adopted. You know when God has taken you in and called you His own. When Jesus is glorified, He functions as our high priest. He goes before God on our behalf. And then receiving the gift of the Spirit on behalf of God, He pours it out on those who are willing to believe. See, when Jesus is glorified, He functions, He goes before God on our behalf. And and this is great in Hebrews chapter 9. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer and sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the puring of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. When Jesus is glorified, he functions as our high priest. He goes before the people on behalf of God. And he poured out the Holy Spirit, which Peter said, you now hear and see. Look at Jesus as king now. What kind of response, if Jesus is enthroned king, what kind of response should come from us? Think this through for a minute. I know you want to say faith, right? That's what comes to mind. But if he is king now, what kind of response should we give? Allegiance. See, that's what repentance is. Repentance is changing allegiance from myself and from my other gods I served. You say, Well, I didn't serve any other gods. Oh, yes, you did. Now, they may not have been little statues, but they were success, they were money. They were people's preference. They were your in crowd, your peers. Huh? Oh, yeah. You were your own God. You were deciding right for wrong for yourself. And this is always interesting to me. We take that responsibility on ourselves, we run our life into a ditch, you know, and then we say, God, save me, but then we want to get back in the driver's seat later. It's like, wait a minute, is you going to end up in the same place? When you had control, you ran it in a ditch. But then you want God to save you, and then, you know, you don't sing Jesus take the wheel, do you? You, you want to be backseat driver. I didn't want to go here, and I, I didn't want to do that. God said, did you need saving or not? Did you need somebody to drive or not? Was you, were you lost? You didn't know where you're going or not. I know where I'm going. I know how to make your life useful to the kingdom. Let me drive. At the ascension, Jesus received an identity that no man has ever received before. Some people suggest that Jesus became divine at the ascension. That is not the case. There was no actual change in Jesus' nature at the ascension, but there is a change in function. In Philippians 2, he describes Jesus as the suffering service who died for our sins. He says in verse 6, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Verse 9, he begins describing his exaltation after he ascended. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. Of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? Because he obeyed and went to the cross and made intercession for us and mediated the new covenant. Now God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. That's why when we speak the name of Jesus, things happen. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. That's why we baptize in the name of Jesus. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. Because there's not another name like it. There's not one higher than that. When he can swear by none greater, he swore by himself. Jesus, in that name is deliverance. In that name is forgiveness of sins. In that name is new life. Woo. I was going to show you something in the Old Testament. You'll see often the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Genesis. But as you're reading, you'll realize that it comes back and forth between Yahweh and the angel of the Lord. So that there's really no distinction. There seems to be a distinction. But if the angel of the Lord is speaking, it's as if Yahweh is speaking. And if Yahweh is speaking, it's as if the angel of the Lord is speaking. You see this same concept here. The words highly exalted describe the enthronement of Jesus on his heavenly throne. There's only one throne in heaven. There's only one throne. John said, I looked and I saw as if it were a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And he was on the throne. That's Jesus. There's only one throne there. Understand that. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Jesus is in the place that no human being has ever been before. And it's the moment that he receives a name which is above every name. The moment of his exaltation of Christ is derived from Isaiah 45 and 23. Now watch this very carefully. This is Yahweh speaking. There is no son in the picture. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness. And, I sh- and it shall not return. That to me, Yahweh, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall take an oath. Yahweh is the speaker here. And he says that every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall swear, or confess, or take an oath. You got to see what's happening here. Long before there's an incarnation, Yahweh said, every knee will bow to me. Every tongue will confess and take an oath. Paul takes the Yahweh text from Isaiah that calls on praise to be applied only to Yahweh and celebrates the text as applying to Jesus. And every knee shall bow to him. He understands that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. The disciples said, show us the Father and it will suffice us. And he said, have you been with me so long time? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm ever all you're ever going to see of the Father. The Father is an invisible spirit. I'm the manifestation of the Father. The Father is in me and I'm in the Father. I got good news for you. God came down and redeemed you from sin in the body of the Son. Amen. And He mediated the new covenant. He didn't send His Son in some divine child abuse. It wasn't divine child abuse. But the Son in the flesh went willingly. Nobody made Him go. He went willingly. And He submitted to the Father's will. See, everybody has trouble understanding this. He is a God man, He has a human mother, but He has a spirit father. That is unique in its individuality. You, you need to get a hold of that. Because if you don't get a hold of that, you'll always be seeing Father and Son and Spirit. Let me ask you how many spirits are there? Thank you. One Lord, one faith, baptism. I I heard it. I heard it from you. Hallelujah. See, he understands that Jesus is God manifest at the flesh. At the ascension, Jesus is glorified. He's enthroned. He is highly exalted. In other words, he can now look at Jesus, the man, and declare he is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the King, immortal, eternal, the only wise God. Hallelujah. The only wise God. The servant who suffered is the same one who is glorified as king of kings. I had a conversation many years ago. And and this is the real issue with with the Orthodox Jewish community. Not the Messianic Jewish community, but the Orthodox Jewish community. That a man could be God. That's the big hang up. It was when Jesus was there. They said, we're going to stone you because you claim to be God. He said, that's exactly how many often did he use the word, I am the way. I am the bread of life. Hearkening back to Genesis where God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. There is nothing but a burning bush. And he said, who should I say sent me? He said, I am that I am sent me. Jesus said, I'm that burning bush. I'm the spirit that animated that burning bush. And I'm here. And I have all power in heaven and earth is given to me. I'm the king. Hallelujah. Hebrews 2, 5 through 9. For he did not subject the angels, the world to come, concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere saying, what is man that you remember him or the son of man that you concerned about him? You have made him a little lower than the angels as the suffering servant. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hand, king of kings. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that was not subject to him. King of kings. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. But we do see him who was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of his death crowned with glory and honor so that the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Hallelujah. The servant who suffers is subsequently celebrated as divine. Watch this, Isaiah 52 and 14. So his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Now, verse 13. Behold, my servant will prosper He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Same person. Same person. That's the difficulty for people to understand today is how can a man be God? See, how can you be the offspring of David and the root of David? You've got to exist before David. Right? That's what we have here. When he's exalted, he... Assumes the throne that he's always had. When Paul refers to Jesus' glorification in Philippi- Philippians as being highly exalted. He uses redundant language to stress that Jesus is brought into the highest place to which anyone could ever be brought. In other words, Jesus is not a pre-existent son returning to the place where he already was before. Mm-mm. The beauty of what is happening is that Jesus' glorification and throne is that Yahweh, the single God of creation, the I Am is revealing himself through the now glorified Jesus Christ. Jesus is Emmanuel. Not just man with us, but God with us. Enthroned as King of Lord and Savior. That's why he deserves our worship and our praise and our glory. Because he is worthy of it. (laughs) See, this is what Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6. Did you know that? This is not... If you read the New Testament, if you read John 12, you will find out that what Isaiah saw was Jesus' enthronement. This is not Yahweh of the Old Testament. He is seeing prophetically. Watch this. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train and his robe filled the temple. We know this because of how John blends together two portions of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah 52 and 53. In John chapter 12, verses 38 through 41, I'm not going to read all this, just verse 41. It says, the things Isaiah said when he saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. Now that's the New Testament interpreting the Old Testament. You understand what's happening? When he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He's seeing the ultimate enthronement of Jesus Christ after the resurrection and the ascension. That's what he sees. He sees his glory. In other words, Isaiah saw the suffering Jesus in Isaiah 52 and 53, as well as the glorification of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 6. Are you with me? Now we know that Isaiah saw. Now we know what he saw. Let's go to Isaiah 52 and 6. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. In that day, they shall know my name. Right? They're going to understand who I am. I I was working with an Orthodox Jewish man. Very nice man from Poland. When I was still in appraisal. And he and I were talking. He was showing me some schematics of the rebuilt temple. We had a great relationship. We talked about the Bible a lot. And one day... I said, I said, tell me about the Messiah. Tell me about the Messiah you're looking for. And so he goes through a few scriptures. And, and so I said, have you, you read Zechariah chapter 14? He said, well, well remind me. He said, I, I, don't, I don't remember. I said, if you read that, it's not in logical order. But if, it, if you read it, you'll start to understand that Jesus comes back to the Mount of Olives. And it splits, right? To the east and the west. You remember that? He said, yeah, yeah. I said, it says all Israel goes out to meet the Messiah. He said, yeah, I remember that. And then they look and they said, whence came these wounds in your hand and your feet? And he said, these I received in the house of my friends. Then 2,000 years of blindness is going to fall and the veil is going to fall. And understand who he is. That this same Jesus who came to save them from their sin is now coming to set up his kingdom on earth with a new heaven and a new earth. Hallelujah. Amen. Raymond Brown says this concerning this verse. The same servant Psalm of Isaiah that speaks of glorification of Jesus also makes another De- declaration. He proclaims that when Isaiah says in that day, it has reference to Jesus' enthronement and glorification. He says in that day, Jesus' glorification, there will be a supreme moment of revelation. In other words, the one who is I am, it is Jesus the same who walked the dusty roads of Palestine. When the one sees the man Jesus on the throne, he can rightly say Yahweh. Jesus is the I am. Hallelujah. Watch this. Louis Burkhoff says, God does not push the human person, Jesus, aside. But he permeates it entirely with his spirit. That is, with himself. See, in the glorification, Jesus is not subtly in nature becoming Yahweh. No, no, no. Jesus could not have existed Apart from Yahweh, in other words, the very nature of Jesus was God in him. God in him doing the work. He said, I don't do anything I don't see my father do, right? See, I used to, I used to have trouble with, with Philippians chapter 2 and Jesus' sinlessness. I, I used to have trouble with it because I was like, yeah, well, he's God. He, he, can't, he can't sin. But then I was like, he didn't face sin as God. He couldn't have, because James says, God cannot be tempted with sin, right? Neither does he tempt any man. So he had to face temptation as a man like us, as a man dependent on the power of God in him, right? Just like you and I. That's why the Bible says, there is no temptation overtaking you except what is common to man, right? Now, a lot of us misquote this. We think this is about trouble and difficulty. We say he won't put more on us than we embarrass. Not what it says. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. But with the temptation, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In other words, you have the power of the Spirit that said no to Satan in the wilderness. Just like Jesus did. You have the same word he did. So you can stand and say no to sin. Just like he did. He will not let. You. Understand this. If God lets a temptation come to you. He knows you can deal with it. Amen. Just know that. You say. Man I don't know if I. You know. If he let it come. He knows you can deal with it. If it's a temptation to evil. He knows you can handle it. I know you're going, I wish God didn't have so much confidence in me, but He does. He does. He trusts you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And you don't know yourself until you finally stand there in the temptation you think you can't handle. And you say, No, I love God more than I love that. I love my Savior more than I love my own way. I'm going to be faithful to Him. My allegiance is to Him, not my desires, not my pleasure. My allegiance is to my God, my Savior. Y'all gonna get me preaching in here. Don't come get it. That thing's sweaty anyway. See, Hebrews 1 and 4 says, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. See, when you say Jesus, you say Yahweh. When you say Jesus, you say the highest name there is. At that name, at that revelation of his glory. You know, we think of Jesus and we see him in his earthly ministry. I'm going to tell you, when he comes back, he ain't going to look like that guy. He's got a white robe on and a sash, dipped in blood. Right? He's riding on a white horse. John knew him. John leaned on his breast. John was intimate with him. But John saw him. In the book of Revelation, he said... I turned to see the voice that spake to me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, feet as burnished brass, his eyes were a flame of fire, and his hair was white like wool. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Hallelujah. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. He said, when I saw him, I fell on my face as if dead. He said, that's not the guy that I leaned on in earth. That's not the guy I was intimate with. That's the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He's coming back for us. King and priest. Woo. Revelation 1, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Watch this, grace to you and peace from Him who is, who was, and who is to come. Who are you looking for to break that eastern sky? I'm looking for that guy that John saw. I'm looking for that guy because when you see him and see this is what I tell people you're going to kneel it's inevitable you're going to confess that's inevitable you might as well do it now while I'll do you some good because when he shows up ain't nobody going to have to tell you anything you're just going to go and out of your mouth is going to come stuff you didn't expect to be there because you're going to know you might as well confess now you might as well kneel now so it'll do you some good. Now you can be forgiven. Now you can be washed. Now you can be cleansed. Now you can be renewed. Kneel now. Woo. Hallelujah. I'm quitting. You can stand. I'm quitting. I miss Brother Adams. He's been gone three weeks. He got me preaching Three weeks in a row Maybe I'm getting better as I go I don't know, we'll see I'm getting tired, that's for sure My wife said She said, you keep talking about two services He said, you think you can do this for two services? I said, God would have to help me But when I start talking about him I get excited I'm not bored I get excited I love what brother brother Adam said, you know, because all of us, the living, the righteous, and the unrighteous are going to be resurrected. And I love what he says. There's going to be Adolf Hitler is going to see him in all of his glory. He tried to wipe out his name, he tried to wipe out his people. And when he sees him, he's going to get down just like this. He's going to say, You are Lord. You are Almighty. I was wrong. I had it wrong. I want you to know every Roman Caesar is going to get on their knees. Every powerful person in the world when they see him glorified is going to get on their knees. Every celebrity, every rich person who thought they didn't need God is going to get on their knees. Amen. So I'm here to tell you if you don't know him today Just find you a place where you can pray and already confess. You're already Lord. I haven't seen you in all your glory, but I believe you're Lord. And I want to give my life to you.